Hi, listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the United States Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade on June the 24th, which stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all people, which we have already seen with abortion bans and restrictions in other countries. This decision has dire consequences, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions within the United States. We encourage our audience, American and otherwise, to learn more about what you can do to help at choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. And now presenting the Date Night Drive-In. Welcome back to the drive-in, everyone. Sorry, this one is a little late. Hello, even though it's a bit late, you're just in time for the trailers. <laughs> we are recording this the evening before it's supposed to air. Yep. Um, we so haven't watched the film yet. We haven't watched the film. It's probably, hopefully you'll be listening to this this weekend, maybe on Monday. I'm going to do my best. There, there's like no rush. Yeah, exactly. Um, not that we don't love you, uh, public. All, all five of our listeners. All five of our listeners. But what we will hopefully love is our film Yay! this week. Yay! Great link. Month. It's uh, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Is there a V in the title? Uh, I thought it was just no, Eternal No, it's just Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There you are. But it's also simply known as Eternal Sunshine in some places. So there you go. I, I think maybe this is, apart from Avengers Infinity War, the f- first, so the second movie that we have both seen prior to watching. Yes, I think I think that's the case, because you hadn't seen Alien. Mm-mm. You hadn't seen Casablanca. No, you hadn't seen Scarface. I hadn't seen... You hadn't seen Scarface. No, neither of us had. And I hadn't seen Saving Private Ryan. And we've both seen Avengers. Yeah, yeah. they are. Weird. Okay. So last time was Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. which you enjoyed more than you thought you yeah. would. Yeah. I think that's kind of a theme for these movies, for both of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had a good time. I am really excited to watch this movie because it is it is very dear to my heart. Uh, we, we both know someone that has a tattoo themed after this movie, which says a lot, I think. Yes, it was mentioned at the very end of uh, the last episode. I, I know, it's like a little link for continuity <laughs> purposes. <laughs> it's canon, Mel. It's canon. Um, so, Saving Private Ryan was released in 2004. Directed by... Do you mean the Eternal Sun... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? What did I say? Mind? Seven Private Ryan. It's in my Ryan. mind. Okay. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was released in 2004. It's directed by Michel Gondry, who's a French director. Um, he also directed Be Kind Rewind, which is a film that oh, I like... you love that movie. ...a lot with uh, Don Cheadle and Jack Black. Mm. That's really good. Um, it was written by Charlie Kaufman, which makes, like, a lot like of sense when you think about King. it. King. Who also directed... Um, I'm thinking of ending thing. Um... He wrote it, definitely. I don't know if he directed it. I think he did both. I think he, he definitely wrote it, anyway. Yeah. For I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which stars Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons, and it was amazing. Mm. And Only Jesse's on set. Adaptation? Is that the other yes. big... That's the other one. Very big, good. Big I've watched that thing. one for, for class. For, for your class, where you studied what? Uh, for my... It was for my module in second year that was called Adaptations, if you must know. Yes. Oh, what, what, you did adaptation for adaptations? Did it yeah. take a lecture as long to think of that one? Which is interesting, because it's one of the only texts that's not an adaptation. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, so this film is 90 
on the top 100. Oh, I thought you were going to say like 90 years old. I was no. like, that doesn't sound right. Is 90 on the top 100? I'm hugely annoyed. Sorry, we're you keeping think it this should podcast be higher? PG. I do. Okay, interesting. But the last time I watched it, I was 19 years old. Yeah. Which is a full five years ago. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> I, my opinions have changed a lot. I think when we've watched movies in the past, I've already seen, I've been like, wow, you know, I appreciate it so much more, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So maybe I'll be like, actually, this movie's not that good. Maybe it'll be the opposite. Absolutely. It's, this has also got a really good cast. We're going from like Saving Private Rowan, which had a great cast. Mm. So this film, obviously, um, Jim Carrey mm-hmm. and uh, Nicole Kidman. I always think it's Kate Winslet. It's not. Is it not Kate Winslet? Wait. I'm pretty confident no. this is a Kate Winslet movie. No, it is Kate Winslet. Oh I God. always do that in my head. I always mix up <laughs> Nicole uh, Kidman and Kate Winslet. I they don't look know why. nothing alike, so I don't know why. In my head, though, so, so yeah. it's Kate Winslet. Yeah. Um, so it's Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey, the leads, but then the supporting cast includes Kirsten Dunst, mm. Mark Ruffalo, mm. and Elijah Wood. Oh my God, and what a good cast. Yeah, and Elijah Wood fresh off... Um, the Lord Hobbit. Of the Rings. The Hobbit. Being the Hobbit in uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> nice save. Yeah. Well, being one of four, but yeah. uh, being in Lord of the Rings. Um, and Kirsten Dunst had um, just been in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Mm. And Mark Ruffalo had done a few things, but his like big MCU-related fame is still yet to come for him at this point. So if I remember correctly... one of the least established actors in this. If I remember correctly, this would maybe be one of his first serious roles after, like, a string of rom-coms. Yeah, he did a lot of rom-coms. was a lot Because he's a very handsome dude. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting, because for me, this definitely, like, bridges the gap between rom-com and drama. Yeah. I've got a little fun fact to slip it at this stage. Ooh. Also, in the original cast, was Ellen Pompeo who plays um, Meredith Grey in Grey's Anatomy. Oh my gosh! She was in a scene which was deleted from like both this cut and the director's cut. What, but did she, she play filmed... a doctor? Uh, no, she didn't. Okay. She was just in this. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a random That's fun really fact for you. That's really cool. Shout out to all my uh, friends who loved Grey's Anatomy growing up. Including my mum, <laughs> who has watched, I think, every season. There's like 20 seasons or something. My cousin Rebecca is like obsessed with Grey's Anatomy. Nice. Okay, so we're going to move on now to talk about the box office. The budget. Can you guess the budget? Considering it came out in 2004, and if you think about it, there's fairly limited what they have to do in terms of sets and practical effects. And I think like the that. majority of the budget probably went on the actors and the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, God, you know I'm not good at numbers. Can I have like a ballpark budget of a film from a similar time? Oh, do, do you want me to look up a, a I film? I don't know. Uh, okay, I'm going to look up a film that also came out at the same time, which I think will be similar, yeah. which is um, Million Dollar Baby. Okay, yeah. Can you tell me how much that budget was? So, no. Million Dollar Baby had a budget of... I'm not good at adjusting for inflation. I know. Uh, 30 million. 30 million. Okay. Ooh, I'm going to say 15 to 20 million. You're right. Yes. 20 million yeah. was the budget for this film. Um, and it had a box office of 74 million. Nice. Which is a big return yeah. in terms of... You know the budget. Like, yeah. It's more than sort of more than like dub, more than tripled its money back. Yeah, so. I mean it's not a huge um, growth just because obviously like budget for making a movie doesn't contain the money spent on advertising. Yeah. So there's a huge chunk of money that's always kind of like missed out of those gaps, but it's it's still impressive. Absolutely, it's it's still a very good return. I think it's um, Charlie Kaufman's like best performing film ever. Yeah, that would make um, sense financially. And obviously, we don't know the information on like um, 
I'm thinking of ending things, for example. Well, that was on my release. Well, as I was about to say, <laughs> Sorry. because that was a, a Netflix original, yeah. which means that um, they don't release the numbers like separately, because Netflix don't do that. Yeah. Um, so now the critical reception, it's very well received on like Rotten Tomatoes and... The um, People's Platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rotten Tomatoes is a totally unflawed, objective <laughs> uh, film quality thing. But it's got a high score on Rotten Tomatoes. It does pretty well on IMDb as well, obviously. Um, it was nominated for two Oscars. For real? And it oh. won one. Can you guess what the two it was nominated for are? Cinematography. No. Editing. No. One technical, one... Um, I'd be surprised editing. if it was nominated for, for a lot of technical Oscars. Oh, God, what other technical ones are? Was it like sound mixing or sound no. design? No, I didn't think so. Hair and makeup or costumes? No. no. Yeah, no. good, because I, I can't... I'm a failure. What other technical awards are there? Um, best original screenplay. Oh! Because it's Charlie Kaufman, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess technical... Screenwriting counts as technical. And um, Kate Winslet, not Nicole Kidman, was nominated for Best <laughs> Actress. Yeah. But it won for Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. It did not win for Best Actress. The winner of Best Actress was Hilary Swank in Million Dollar Baby. Oh, good for her. Which I think is probably more yeah. deserved, possibly, than Kate Winslet in this film. I think well, some... I think that's the choice that I'd make. Yeah, anyway. something really interesting about this movie, which we'll get into more after we watched it, mm -hmm. is for me it's like one of those movies that deconstructs the manic pixie dream girl trope mm -hmm. before it was a huge thing in popular media, right. which I think is really interesting. Like pre-Ramona Flowers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, although, speaking of Ramona Flowers, this is also a very film boy film, oh, I, yeah. I think. If you're going to list, like, top ten film boy films, you'd have this after, like, you know, The Godfather yeah. or something. You'd have, like, I Godfather, think... like, Pulp Fiction. But I think this would be in the top ten. Whilst we've... I've enjoyed all the movies we've seen so far, um, I'd say maybe, apart from Alien, every single movie we've seen has centred male introspection. Yep. Um, and I'm kind of over it. But I'm sure I'll have fun. <laughs> Fantastic. I do, I do like this movie. I want to clarify. I really like this movie. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it, would you? No. On, on how you're talking about it. It's because I'm critical of myself, so everything I enjoy yeah. <laughs> is wrong and bad. So, I also feel like this film has sort of... Because it's like a weird, low-tech sci-fi sort of thing, almost a little bit like cyberpunk in some of its themes. Yeah, Not its sure. aesthetics, but its themes. I feel like that's kind of kicked off some of, like, if you think about Memento and things like that, I'm not sure that would necessarily... Yeah, I think so. I think, unfortunately, this is one of those movies that is similar to, like, Fight Club, in that it's really dear to my heart. Thematically, it's did, it did quite a lot of revolutionary stuff for at least Hollywood and Western cinema. Um, but the things that people remember it for... And the messages people take away from it are always not necessarily what's intended. Yeah. Like, uh, we watched 500 Days of Summer last year. Uh, yes. And I kind of walked away from it being like, wait, why do people think this movie is about, like, Tom, who's the main character? Sure. Uh, J Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Why did they walk away from this movie thinking that, like, he's in the right, yeah. are we watching the same film? And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see yeah, and see if your, your, your feelings change. So, just rough, you know, top of a, um, like, headline plot mm. is that um, Joel, played by Jim Carrey, has a fight with his girlfriend, Clementine. 
played by not Nicole Kidman, Kate, Kate Winslet. Winslet. Great name for a character, by the way. Um, Clementine Chris Krasinski? Krasinski? Krasinski. Yeah, but it's spelled differently to John yeah. Krasinski. Hello, John, if you're listening, I'm a big fan. Um, so is they your ha- wife free this Thursday? <laughs> right. No, both, both of them is fine. Um, okay, so Joel and Clementine have an argument. He finds out that Clementine has had her memories of him and their relationship wiped. He decides to do the same thing. They had already broken up at that point. Sure, it just says a fight yeah. here. But um, he decides to do the same thing and a bit Romeo and Juliette-y. He's like, I'll forget about it as well. And he records a tape for the firm that are yeah. like, removing the memories uh, about like his memories of their relationship, basically. Yeah. And stuff gets weird from there. I'm not going to go too spoilery in case people listening haven't heard of the film. There's also a subplot involving Mark Ruffalo, the yes. doctor. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. Yes. Sorry, sorry. Shout, shout out the Ruffalo. Well, couldn't couldn't we be did not like that book growing up? You didn't like it. No. You didn't like the Ruffalo. I did not like the Ruffalo. He has terrible teeth and terrible claws. Will he does have terrible teeth and terrible claws? Unlike Jim Carrey in this film, <laughs> who has regular teeth. Um, <laughs> So this this is a little bit sci-fi, especially some of the tech. Uh, um, is it Lacuna? The, oh, the I watched this five years ago. I don't remember. But the the company that's wiping the memory, some of the tech there is a bit. Oh, if I remember, I think it's something to do with like the river. Like it's a pun on the river Leith. Sure. Well, it's called Lacuna. Yeah. But um, I just don't know what the pronunciation is. But it's a little bit like um, Minority Report kind of thing. It's like similar in vibes and aesthetic. Minority Sorry, I'm Report. nodding a lot. It's not good yeah. audio. Yeah, I know. Um, oh well. Um, so, are you ready to talk about some trivia? Yay, love trivia. I've got three trivias. Three trivias? Well, I've already done one with the, the whole uh, Meredith Grey thing. And the second one is it's Kate Winslet, not, um, not Nicole Kidman. Not Nicole Kidman. Yes. And no, um, so a lot of the dialogue, um, basically, what they did during some of the early um, shoots mm-hmm. is they would just keep the microphones running and take down organic conversation that happened between the actors and then use that as dialogue. Nice, that's cool. Um, which I thought was quite cool. Uh, another thing is that there are basically no digital effects in this film. Almost everything is done using practical filmmaking. Yeah. So using uh, forced perspective, using like Texas switches and yeah. things like that. Um, so good. There's a scene where there are two Jim Carrey's mm. briefly and he literally had to like duck behind a cabinet and then stand up again and yeah. stuff like that. It's so good. And another fun thing is some of the scenes which they filmed outside on city streets and things like that, Jim Carrey, very famous, obviously very recognisable. People kept coming up to Jim Carrey to ask for a photo or to, like, talk to him. Uh, The press were, like, like some reporters kept trying to, like, interview him and things like that. So they had to keep reshooting it. And um, even if in some of those scenes you can see people in the background, like, looking at the cameras. That's cool. And you could hear someone shout, talk to me, Jim, apparently. Oh my gosh, that's great. Which is Do very funny. Do you know funny. if it was shot digitally? It was shot on film. Oh, then that would have been expensive. Yeah. yeah but it was, it was shot on film. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that because the credits dropped exactly at the end of the first uh, film reel. 18 minutes so in. so neat. Yeah. So that's all of the talk about the film. I'm excited to uh, go and watch it. It's quite quite long, but I feel like yeah. I, I recall bit being possibly. Um, I'm I loaded up MDB as we I see. feel like it's not more than two hours. Yeah, it's an hour forty eight actually. Yeah, it's not. It's one of those movies that I think feels long when you're younger. Yeah. Um, 
because nothing because nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, I wanted to ask then, what do you remember about the film? What do you remember liking, not liking? Um, I remember liking how clever it was and how every line of dialogue is relevant to the story or to characterization. Mm. It's a very it's, it's like a very lean film. There's like Tidy. no, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no like fat on it. There's no loose ends. Everything yeah. is serves a purpose in the narrative. Very Kaufman. Yeah. Um, so when did you first watch it? Do you remember? Uh, I watched it um, during during a film boy period of my life um, when I watched like every. I think I literally probably just got something like this IMDb list or nice. googled like a hundred films every person should watch in their life and just went through them. Hugely on brand of you. I know, right? So it was like every Tarantino film, for example, mm. which we've been spared so far, but there are some on the list. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was like every Tarantino film, then pretty much every film Robert De Niro or Al Pacino have been in, <laughs> you, know, you know, that sort of, yeah, I feel that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so I think this was about five, five, six, seven years ago, probably. So like 1819. Yeah. So similar age to you when you first watched it. Um it was kind of, it's kind of when we were doing like a baby's first media literacy. Yeah, I think it was kind of an age for both of us despite being separately and maybe for a lot of people who were interested in media discussion. Self-described cinephiles if you will. Yeah. Um where we were kind of like, "Oh, film can be more." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to watch it. I remember really, really liking it as well. Um, and I'm really interested to watch it with you because this is fundamentally a breakup movie. Yeah. Um, and we've only ever watched one breakup movie prior to this, despite being together for nearly four years. What, which is 500 Days of Summer? Oh, okay, maybe we've watched two. I think we've watched more. The other one is It's Complicated with Meryl Streep and, um... Jack Nicholson? No. Uh... He is Jack in um, 30, Rock? Thirty Rock. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, with yeah. both of them. That because I remember watching that with you. But neither of them were particularly like devastating emotionally. No. As much as this one is. As much as this will be, yeah. Um. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. And I'm also interested to see if we have any disagreements about the perspective of the people in this relationship. <laughs> I will fight and die for Clementine. But stemming from our own. The only experience we have is our lived experience as yeah, exactly. a man and a woman, respectively. And it'll be interesting to see if that carries into like our feelings and sympathies for Clementine yeah. and Joel in this film. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, um, there's a question that I always ask you. Oh, yes? What snack are you going to metaphorically have? Because we've before talked about Anne's love for those really sh nachos you get at the cinema. Where um, you, you can't cuss on the show! I just cut it. We'll fix it in post. Um, those nachos you get where they're like clearly the cheapest like supermarket brand nachos with like um the the horrible like nacho in, cheese. In view where they sell them, they're Doritos. They have a partnership deal with Doritos. Okay. They are Doritos. Um we are actually having nachos tonight for Yay! dinner. So that's kind of appropriate. But metaphorically, what metaphorical movie um, snack would you, you have? You know what? This movie, it's light, it's airy, it's dreamlike. I'm gonna have candy floss. Oh, what flavour? Just like, just classic pink, pink yeah. candy floss. Because you get flavour candy floss. Yeah, right? but there's not. it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. I think I'm gonna choose pick a mix. Mm. I, we have a pick a mix related story, which is the last time we got pick a mix, we both got like... <laughs> I was just waiting for, you for, it, for, your, for it to dawn on your face. <laughs> Um, 
we both got like probably five times the amount that a sane person would get. We looked at each other's bags and we were like, we should probably cut down a bit. So we cut down to about three times what a sane person should get. We were really hungry and stressed. I think it was New Year's Day. It was something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember what we were watching. It was something... We were watching Jojo Rabbit because we'd just come yes. back from um, the north where one of our friends yeah. was having... Yeah, a... one, of, one of our friends was having a, um, a New Year's party yeah. up north. Yeah. And we, we'd returned to... We'd come back past the Great Wall of Ice yes. on, and back into the civilised lands. And um, <laughs> well, there yeah. are no northern people listen to the show. We're fine. I love the north. Okay. Um... And yeah, yeah, we were both very tired, so we we got probably five times the amount of candy we should have got. Oh yeah. Cut it down a bit, ate maybe a quarter each of what yeah. we got, and then we were just like, we can't. The leftover candy that I had, I kept in my snack cupboard for a month and a half. That that's, is how long it took me to finish it. That's how long it lasted. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a favourite pick and mix? thing do you mean like from the general sweets wall or specifically the brand pick and or like no. licorice all sorts no 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 like from when you go into a cinema the like here's your paper bag here are all the random little tray things sour apple cables yeah on brand prawns yeah or the like see-through chewy strawberries the big nice. ones yeah i know the ones what about yours i love um like fizzy coke bottles i do not like coca-cola flavored sweets and i like the um white chocolate mice mm, they're pretty good a bit chalky but i, yeah. s- I see the appeal it's a bit more like a bit chalky. Horrible. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope that we don't forget to have fun uh, watching wow. this movie. I don't know. I can't think of a link. What have you got? Uh, I hope this movie is spotless, but not eternal. <laughs> I hope it does end. I hope it brings sunshine into our lives. Okay. We did it. We got all bits of the movie. Um, you didn't say anything about mind. Now we said something about mind. I hope I, hope I don't mind it. That would have been that would have been the best one, actually. Okay, well, they can't all be winners. Yeah, much like Joel in this movie, which <laughs> we'll talk about uh, next time. Oh, shh, the trailers are starting. Oh no, <laughs> we have to do our trailer thing where we have a list of like trailer rules that we have to obey when we're watching trailers and We're a very normal couple. We're a very normal couple. We're both one hundred percent neurotypical. Um, but we'll see you. And what to us will be a matter of hours, what for you will be like 10 seconds. So, see you in a bit. Bye. See you in a bit. Bye. Enjoy the movie. Welcome back to the drive. Date. The date. I'm driving. What is the name of this podcast? Um, We're back. We're back. We went to the drive-in and we came back and we watched a movie. Uh, we did watch a movie. That movie was... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And it wasn't Eternal, but was it spotless? It was pretty good. Yeah, you guys, i got to say, uh, 19-year-old me was pretty on the money with this one. This movie's great. <laughs> Rare 19-year-old and W. Common 19-year-old and W. Okay, um, so do you, do you want to go through some of your notes? I um, have notes. Um, first off, I want to just have a little chat about, like, our general understanding and what we thought of the movie. I had a really good time. Absolutely. I thought it was really inventive. I kind of went into this movie being like, I think I'm going to be deeply emotionally affected by it, but I don't know if it's going to be a particular landmark in cinematic history. Yeah. And you know what? It is. It's so creatively made. The technical aspects are brilliant. 
I was really impressed by a lot of the cinematography, like the scene where Joel is um, hi- like hiding in his memories of him as a child, mm. and there's this forced perspective of like him in the kitchen, where they actually use just like yeah. It's... Peter Jackson is quaking. He okay. is. Okay. Um, that movie, it was great. I was um, very emotionally responsive to it. Yeah. I felt like it was both well-made and also well-written. I'm surprised that Kate Winslet got a nomination because, I mean, her performance was great, but it wasn't the standout to me. To me, the standout was the technical aspects of the movie. I'm, yeah. I'm really surprised there was no, like, cinematography or editing uh, nomination. Absolutely. Do you, do you want me to um, look up we do that actually at, won? We do that at the end. No, no, let's just do that right now while you're okay. talking about it. Um, okay. I'm just going to look quickly look up the 77th Academy Awards, which are this one, and see if there was, because I know they take take them out yeah. and things like that sometimes. Um, hate it when they do that. Uh, cinematographer went to The Aviator by... I haven't seen that. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio and it yeah. is really, really good, actually. And... Well, I don't care about that. I care about editing. And it also won editing, The Aviator. Oh, okay. This this film wasn't nominated for either, which I think is... I think uh, is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so first I'm going to kind of walk everyone through the movie, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to talk a little bit. I think my main topic and the theme for this episode is the manic pixie dream girl trope, for sure. We're going to talk about Clementine's this character. This is one which is going to come back as a discussion based on some of the other films on this list Oh, like well. what? Yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. You can't remember. Uh, I can. Then tell me. Uh, no, I don't want to spoil what movies are in the book. Okay. Bucket. I like I like your your intrigue. Okay. Um, so my first note about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind uh-huh. is this movie is so pretty. Yes. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Every shot composition is made with thought and consideration, and I think that's kind of a staple in everything Kaufman makes. Um, yes, I, I would know that he. Um, wasn't the director. Was he not? He was the writer. The Who director was Michelle Gondry. Directed by a lady? Is this the no, first no, movie? No, 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 just a French person called, oh. whose name is Michelle. That's bad, my bad for assuming. Yes. Um, oh, so we talked about this literally yesterday, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, so we started the movie with Clementine and Joel, our two main characters, mm-hmm. meeting... They meet cute. Uh, they meet cute. They are on a train, they go to a beach in Montauk, and then get the train back to New York, realising they had the same plan for the day, they start chatting, and uh, they hang out a bit, and they seem to be really into one another. Then uh, we cut to Joel um, heading, basically, he's going through a breakup with his girlfriend... Yep. Who is revealed to be Clementine. Yeah. Um, so it seems like there's been some kind of time skip. The movie does a lot of time skips and sort of patching different yeah. sort of areas together and thing and things like that, which I think is a really interesting way of telling a story. Like we were talking about this, I can't remember if it was while we were recording or just while we were watching the movie, but on the subject of Manny Pixie Dream Girls, mm. Five Hundred Days of Summer does a similar yeah, thing. It was recording. It was while we were recording. They are so uh, it is a similar thing and how it patches together different notable occasions, sort of in the relationship, to mm. tell you the overall story about it. So it's really good. This is where the spoilers start. Uh, yeah, I don't think we need like a beat by beat. Yeah, but the movie, um, the their meet cue at the start of the movie, kind of leads you to believe that it is the first time they're meeting, mm. when in fact it's after they've both had their memories of one another erased, they're meeting again. 
Yeah. Um, and similar to one of uh, my favourite musicals, Hadestown, it's kind of this idea that they'll be going through the same story again and again. Yeah. And the question that the movie leaves you with is, you know, is it worth it? Uh, my answer is yes. <laughs> but... Your, your, your answer is the, the, the pain, pain and suffering is worth it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We were talking about, you know, if we ever broke up, we if or like if we went through past breakups, would we go and get our memory erased no. of them? Absolutely not. No, I know. I, I, I would because they sort of form part of everything's a learning experience. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Clementine does say the F slur at one point in this movie. It's my warning for it. Yeah. There's no reason for her to say it. No. She could have used other words. Yeah, she's just angry at Joel. Clementine L. Yeah. Um. And we talked about how everyone in this movie is not great. Everyone in this movie kind of sucks. Yeah, Mary is okay, who's the receptionist at um, Yeah, the... I feel bad for Mary. I feel bad for Mary, yeah. She has a huge W at the end. She, she does. But in general, yeah. everyone in this movie really kind of sucks. Yeah. The general overview is Joel is getting his memories wiped mm-hmm. from, from his past relationship with Clementine mm-hmm. because she has done the same so he's kind of like, well, screw you, I'm going to get it done too. Yeah. Um, and there is a B-plot going on about the technicians who are wiping Joel's memory. Yeah. And um, the, the main focus is Joel going back through to the memories of his relationship with Clementine. Yeah. Um, and he goes past sort of the bad at the end of his relationship and re-experiences what it was like when they first started dating, when they yes. fell in love, and realises that he doesn't want to erase this. So he is then kind of unconscious for, like, the memory wipe process in the real world. So he's sort of trying to hide from the technicians in his own memories, and yeah. he goes back to memories of, you know, particularly strong like, humiliation, things like that in the past, and they do yeah. some really interesting costuming. And the B storyline like involves uh, the receptionist, um, Mary. Kissing, Mary, kissing the main technician. Um, she finds out that they had had an affair in the past, and she'd gotten her memory wiped. Yeah. So she mails out all the records of people's memories back to them. Yeah. Um, and Joel and Clementine find out they dated before, and they decide to eventually carry on with their relationship despite having broken up previously. Twice. Yeah, previously. twice. Twice previously? Uh, yeah, because there was the first time where they got the memories wiped, and then again when they went to get the memories wiped again. Right? They only got their memories wiped once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I see what you mean. I'm confused about I, what bit you're on, but I'm not bothered cool. to have this discussion with okay. you at the moment. <laughs> um, but so they decide to try for a second time, and that's kind of where we leave the movie. It's a yeah. little bit ambiguous as to whether they go into it committed hand in heart. My read is that they're like, let's give it another shot. Yeah. I, I, I think, like, it's them showing that even though they know it's doomed to fail, because it has failed before. Yeah. Like, their relationship has failed before. They want it to fail properly, if yeah. that makes sense, and live with having a failed relationship rather than... Exactly. They ra- want it to be ra- on their own terms. Yeah, rather than wiping it and sort of just continuously. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think now we've given, like, a little plot overview. Now's the time to talk about what I believe to be the main theme of this movie, which is mental illness. Yay! Um, I think Clementine and Joel are both deeply troubled people. Yes. I obviously can't speak of what's specifically going on with their lives. I have some uh, history. I was diagnosed with depression when I was younger, mm-hmm. and from the way Joel acts about himself, 
and you know moves kind of does his life very by the numbers through the motions i think he is also quite a depressed man is how i would read him um i feel like he is searching for something to give his life meaning and purpose because he's lost it and kind of you have to put in a lot of work to find it again but it's much easier to find something that lights up all the little dopamine signals in your brain, yeah. like alcohol or drugs or food or, or sex or a person. Yeah. Um, and that's what he does with Clementine. From Clementine's perspective, we... Again, this isn't my ballpark. I don't have medical history in terms of this. Okay. But a lot of people on, on the forums, on the interwebs, yeah. uh, seem to think that... Clementine has borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Um, I've had some experience with friends who have dealt with that kind of thing, and I think that it is kind of... You can pick that up in her character. Um, I hope that people see it, because I read it as quite a realistic and sympathetic portrayal, and that I think Clementine starts as a not a very nice character, because that's how Joel sees her. But as the movie progresses, I'm like, oh, she's just a regular person and she's likeable and kind and funny and sweet. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's another really important thing is how the movie deals with you see people's specific memories of other yeah. people. So how they're framed is the movie makes it very clear. It's almost like an unreliable narrator because you're seeing how Joel remembers Clementine. But then, you know, you can see from different angles yeah. how their relationship might have been perceived otherwise and yeah. sort of all the different steps. This is... That. What I was kind of talking about, you know, when we did record the first half of the podcast, and yeah. I was like, some people can read this movie, and I feel like, not to sound wanky about it, but they won't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is one of those movies where the beauty of it is that there is as much you can get what you want out of yeah. it, if that makes sense. Like, you could just see this movie and not think at all about the themes and things like that, and just enjoy the actual story of yeah. it but then you can go a bit deeper and I'm sure you can get really like with a lot of um, Charlie Coffin works you can get really deep mm. into the the themes the metasexual commentary and stuff like that yeah. but so it's, it's sort of up to you it's not like you can't enjoy this movie if you don't want to yeah. go deep into it like you can just watch this movie and on the face of it it's an interesting story with some good twists yeah. and very well acted very technically well put together and things yeah. like that so. so I think you can kind of see this movie as two broken people um, trapped forever in the tragedy of tormenting one another. Yeah. Or you can see it as a sort of self-reflective on how when you're at your worst in a good relationship, whether that's with another person or with yourself, you look at the bad things you've done and it inspires you to try and be better. And I think that that is my reading from this film, is they kind of see the way they've ruined one another and they want to make an effort to change that. And I think fighting against what seems to be the inevitable is a very beautifully human trait. Yeah. Um, But speaking of mental illness, let's talk about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl! Yes! So the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope, if you're not familiar, is essentially about a male character who doesn't have meaning or purpose in his life. He finds a young woman, usually with brightly coloured hair of some kind, who's random and quirky, and she finds joy in the little things, and that inspires him to find joy too. She either literally or metaphorically has 
brightly coloured hair, right? Yeah. Like either she literally has bright hair or the metaphor is that she is out there yeah. and and sort of wacky and is able to to provide sort of new direction yeah. to him. So um classic examples of this are like we talked about earlier, Summer in Five Hundred Days of Summer. Mm. I think at first, you could say that about Ramona Flowers, yeah. possibly. Um, Ruby Sparks and Ruby Sparks. Great deconstruction is a, of the is trope. obviously a deconstruction of it, but that's who Ruby Sparks is. I say Lulu in The Fifth Element. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. These are just sort of some examples, and it's very prevalent, I know, in um, some other mediums as well. Like, I know it's quite big in some anime stories mm. and things like that, too. Um, but firstly, I think. Every Manic Pixie Dream Girl story can be made interesting. For example, one of the ones we haven't mentioned is uh, Jessica Day in New Girl. Yes. I think she's very much a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but I also think that that isn't necessarily a bad thing. In the same way we've talked about tropes like Fridging and the Mary Sue, Yeah. I don't think when someone fits in those tropes, it stops the story or the character being enjoyable. Um, I think my problem with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is the story is so often about women's existence for male character development, which is why I think Jess is a great Manic Pixie Dream Girl, because she's the main character. Yeah. And I think uh, Clementine also works as one yeah. in this story, because it's about how things aren't actually all great for her. Like, this is a film where you could argue that the protagonist is Joel, but it is really about the two of them and about, more generally, like, human relationships. It's not yeah. really about Joel like, being, like, redeemed and saved by Clementine, you know? Yeah, like, there's a scene, which we'll briefly mention in regards to Force Perspective, yeah. where um, Joel is a little boy and he's dragged Clementine into the memory to stop her being erased and she's taking on the role of his babysitter. And I think that's kind of a very... Um, on the nose idea of what she feels like their relationship has been. Yeah. With her being the one kind of forced to take care of him and drag him out from under the table he's literally hiding under. Yeah. Um, she has a really good speech right at the end where she talks about how she is a whole person and she's not fulfilling some kind of fantasy for him and she's pretty messed up and if he wants to be with her he's going to have to deal with that. She, she has her like Amy Dunn Gone Girl moment. Yeah. And- which he doesn't at the start of the movie, but I think by the end of the movie, he's accepted that. And I think she went into the relationship seeing as him as this kind of stability, which she craved so badly. Yeah, and which he isn't. And which he isn't, and which now she is sort of seeing in him. They, The relationship, at the start at least, is definitely doomed to fail because... Mm they see things in the others which aren't true but are what they want in a yeah, partner. Projecting. And they're willing yeah, they're projecting so they're projecting stability or sort of excitement energy, uh, respectively. And that's why the relationship doesn't work is because they don't see what's really there in their partners, they just see what they want in their partners instead. Which is on them. Which is absolutely on them. And throughout the course of the movie they do appreciate each other. Yeah more for who they actually are but you know they are both damaged people and they kind of understand that and there's no magic solution or anything yeah one of the notes i've written here is joel and clementine thought each of them would fix the other and they didn't and yeah. then they got angry yeah um here are some i have some highlights from my notes as always mm-hmm. uh which is well one is a quote from bojack horseman which i thought was uh i thought it was relevant to the movie fine when you look at someone through rose-coloured glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Yeah. 
Um, is this a play? It would really work well as a play. I yes, I think it would work great as a play. Um, you you would have to be very um, quick with costume changes and things mm. like that because there is a lot of moving between different sort of time periods, which they're able to show by by costume changes and by particularly like Clementine's hair as a yeah. few different shades or styles and things like that which just makes it easier for the audience to follow and I feel like in a stage format that might be a little bit harder to communicate but I think it's still possible. This is truly ideal Joker and Harley energy. You're just saying that because they would both be great Joker and Harley cast. I think they would be. I think it's a really... Firstly, I think Jim Carrey's best role ever was as the Riddler. Yeah. But um, I think that... (laughs) We'll just roll this. I'm kidding, I don't. I think it's the Truman Show. But yeah, I was, was going to say, you love the Truman Show. But I think that it is that kind of, the same kind of, I don't know, emotional hole that the Joker and Harley's relationship fills, the narrative satisfaction, is kind of the worst case scenario of these two. Yep. Um, oh, when they said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Will and I both pointed at the TV excitedly. In, in the manner of um, the, the meme of uh, Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, yes, because the the title of the movie is from a poem, which mm. is also recited in, in the movie. I think it's definitely a film where it's hard to watch it and not come away feeling a little bit introspective, where you ask yourself the questions that are posed by the movie and within the movie, literally, the characters. You, you, you think a lot about your own relationships, your own personal history and things like that, exactly. And do you still love me? Uh, <laughs> Uh, the listeners want to know. We've got another 95 um, movies to go first, babe. It will take eight years. I did the maths. Yeah, oh, that's, that's quite optimistic. <laughs> um, I also thought a really cool piece of cinematography, which I kind of noticed towards the end. So I can't speak if they were doing it for the whole movie, but I hope they were. Mm-hmm. Which is when they are showing the scene where Clementine and Joel met near the end of the movie and they're on the beach. Um, when they are reliving the memory it's shot in wide with both of them sort of in the center of the frame but when it's them talking to one another like clementine's memory and joel's consciousness yeah it cuts to close-up shots of their face that's cool i thought that was a really cool way much like uh greta's color grading a little woman to kind of like do you, signify. Do you, listener, do you like how Am says greta uh, as she if is greta my girl best is friend Am's close friend rather than just the director of Little Women. We're going to do a very special episode next year on Barbie 2023. Uh, only if it makes it into the IMDb <laughs> Top 100. Um, but, yeah, I I thought... I, I have another thing to tag mm-hmm. on to that, which I noticed and also looked up to make yes. sure I wasn't going insane. Um, background score music only plays when Joel and Clementine talk to each other. <gasps> Otherwise, it's silent. Oh, Otherwise, there's cool. no like, score music. And then when they talk to each other, the music in the background. Delusion. It symbolises delusion. It, yes, and they're over romanticization. But yeah, I thought this movie was romantic with a capital R. I'm looking at, you know, the Byrons and the Shelleys in terms of the grand majesty of life. And I yeah, it was a good movie. Guys, this movie was a good movie. Those are my yeah. hot takes. So shall I move on to my post discussion? Yes, I remembered what they are. Okay. So I've got I've got two, but um first of all I'm gonna ask you, do you think this movie A deserves to be in the top one hundred? Yes. B deserves to be number 90? No, this movie should be higher. Out of all the movies we've watched, 
on this list, this is the one I have rated the highest on my letterboxd. Interesting. I think this should be 30 to 25. I think I'd put it like 60 to 70. I think it does deserve to be a bit higher. I think it definitely deserves to be top 100 because not only is it just a good movie on the face of it, it's also very brave and innovative, I think. It's gorgeous. And it's very unique, unlike, unlike other films you might see. It's a, cool. it's a perfect little gift to us. Okay. It's I think great. the length is perfect. It's mm. an hour 45, give or take, which is, I think, about the longest that any film should be without having a really good reason to be much longer. Like, I think some movies can justify the longer length, but I think if it's a very emotional, heavy watch... Yeah. Uh, like hour and a half to hour forty-five. I mean, my take is that there's like there is like no property in the world which couldn't be improved if you cut like ten percent off it. I think June couldn't have been shorter. We'll get into that yeah. when we discuss <laughs> June, which is not the idea. It's one hundred. Devastating. Uh, neither the uh, David Lynch nor the um, <laughs> yeah. nor the uh, Denny Villeneuve. Yeah. Anyway, um, now I'm on to my fun little regular questions mm-hmm. that I do every week, of which I can remember two, so hopefully you can remember the other one. So number one is, you can have lunch with one person from this cast or crew. Who would you pick? Charlie. Charlie. Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, really? Yeah. Who would you pick? Jim Carrey? Elijah Wood. Okay, yeah, Elijah Wood fair. seems lovely. He'll be great to hang out yeah, with. He was in Lord of the Rings, which is a great film. He'd be fun. But I'll pick Charlie, because then you can have Elijah. Yeah. I also think Mark Ruffalo seems like he'll be quite nice to hang out with. Yeah, I feel like I I would just rather him be doing activism stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, you hear that out there, activist? You always have to be activising yeah. all the time. I know that activising isn't it? I know. No, I got. I understood the point. But uh, yeah, Elijah Wood would be my choice because he just seems yeah. like he'll be fun to hang out with, and he supports West Ham, which is my football team. Charlie seems like he's a sad dude, so I think we get on. Yeah. Uh, my other question is, uh, every character in this film except one has to be replaced by a Muppet. Who would it be? Um, I I think the only answer is that Joel, Joel. is the human. Joel has to be the human, right? Yeah. And everyone else is Muppets. Yeah. That's perfect. And I think it also kind of works yeah. with some of the themes in the story. And... Or Mary. Yeah. No, no, I think, okay. Joel, I think Joel's the, the best one. I, I remember the final question. I couldn't remember. Which it, is, though. we looked up which Oscars they it was nominated oh, for yes. up against, and we're like, did it deserve to win against these ones? Yeah, yes, then. It's probably our decision. So, it was nominated for Best Actress versus um, Hilary Swank in Million Dollar Baby, Annette Benning in being Julia, uh, Imelda Staunton in Vera Drake, and... Then there's obviously Kate Winslet as Clementine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think Hilary Swank does have to win that Oscar. I think so too. I think Kate Winslet is like good in this role, and I think I struggle to come up with someone that I could slot in who I would say would do a better job yeah. in the role. But I'm also not blown away by her performance necessarily. I feel yeah. like she fits in the film rather than it being a vehicle for. Her. I think that's partly to do with Clementine when you have such a dramatic role. Yeah. Um, there's not many nu- nuances you can bring, especially because even though Clementine is one of the central focuses, she doesn't really have a lot of screen time. Uh, yeah. I- I'd be interested to see what her actual like screen time yeah. number was. So we, we agree that she didn't, uh, didn't deserve that. Then best original screenplay we have. Vera Drake, The Incredibles, Hotel Rwanda, The Aviator, and Eternal Sunshine. The Incredibles is really, really good. I think Eternal Sunshine 
just beats it. Yeah. But Incredibles is a very close second for me. I totally agree. I think The Incredibles is a fantastically written movie. It revitalised animation. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it did. It's great. Uh, we won't talk about the sequel. <laughs> Wait until we get to animated movies. I'm going to be like on my little soapbox chatting yeah. so much. Chatting so much-ish. Yeah. Chatting so okay. much-ish. So. It's your turn. Animated movies. It's my turn. So I'm... I'm, I'm going to hold the box. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to shake it well, so we, we get good ASMR. Yeah. Oh, we'll we, just spill the box onto the floor. I, one second. I, I, I sat down and wrote all these out. I can do whatever the hell I like. Okay, them. okay, pick one. Okay, I'm not looking. I'm not. I'm swirling it around. I pick one out. Oh. I have the, not seen that movie. It's the Usual Suspects. It's like a heist movie, right? Uh. Yeah, it's like a heist sort of crime kind of movie. It's like a, um, it's near noir. It's probably the best. There are so thing many for it. crime movies on this list. It's got like an incredible cast. Who's in it? Uh, Benicio del Toro. <gasps> My husband. Uh, Pete Possaway and Kevin Spacey. Oh. What's unfortunate about this film is it's directed by Brian Singer and it stars Kevin Spacey. For Kevin's real? Spain. Yeah. And it's Who the- produced it? Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Brian Singer also, and oh. um, it stars Kevin Spacey. So. There are going to be some conversations we have to have about it, but it is yes. a good film. Let's say there might be some high seas involved to stop money going to some bad people. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, uh, usual suspects next time in the date night driving. But in the Ooh. meantime, I hope you guys enjoy all the films that you're watching. Yes, we have done six. We made it halfway through the year, even though this come out late. Sorry. So, and my personal wish is that all of our lovely listeners um, leave us a, a nice review on like Podchaser and things like that. Yay. And follow us on Twitter at d 8 Strike. And go listen to our other podcasts. We at do other stuff. RWD underscore pod, at Deck of Many Aces, at Cast of Many Things, and at Dragons underscore Jewel. Yay! Oh, and at Brain ADV Podcast. Yes. We're in a lot of podcasts. We do too much. But that's why this episode was late, so you have to forgive us. Okay. See you next time. At the, the date, date night, night driving. Vroom, as our car drives away.